Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this day and all that you've done for us. Lord, those that aren't here, we ask that you bless them and you know why they're not here and that you help them. Lord, we ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word. Show us what you would want us to see and let your spirit guide. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 51, starting at verse 1. Hearken to me, you that follow after righteousness, you that seek the Lord, look unto the rock whence you have... Er, when you are hewn and hide and the hole of the pit when you were digged. Look unto Sarah, uh, Abraham your father, and to Sarah that bear you. For I call him, called him alone and blessed him and increased him. For the Lord shall comfort Zion and he will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. So we start here with a very big praise on here. It says, hearken, hear to obey me, you that follow after righteousness, that seek the Lord. And I think this is something very interesting because God is calling those who are looking to follow him. Okay, he calls to us and he's looking for those that are wanting to follow him, that follow after righteousness. And it's amazing to me how many times I meet people who say they're they're following God and you look at their life and I'm not their judge, but you look at their life and there's no desire to follow God, no desire to, to seem to clean out their life. And you, you kind of wonder, you know, are you really listening to God at the very least? Are you listening to God and are you trying to be obedient to God? And he's saying those that follow after righteousness that seek the Lord. And this is one thing that should happen when we are saved, we should be getting changed. We should be changed. Now, we're not going to change overnight completely. We're not going, you know, it's going to take a long time for God to work out all of our issues with us. But if we're not seeing change in our life, we've got a problem. And here this verse starts out, Hearken to me, you that follow after me and that seek the Lord. Look to the rock wherein you are hewn and the hole of the pit wherein you are digged. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who, that bore you. In other words, he's saying, you know, they came out of these things. And I think that we look at this, it goes, the rock that you were hewn out of and the hole of the pit that you were dug, digged. I really think he's talking about us being rescued from sin. Hard-heartedness and the sin, the, the hole that we are, are in. Many of the commentaries say that it points to Abraham and Sarah, and I'm not sure. I think, I literally think it's talking about us and where we were when we, when we were called. And God says, Turn to him, look where, look where you were at, follow in. And this is something that is interesting, but he says also in verse 2, Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah that bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. So God says he's chosen Abraham and him alone. And this is kind of an interesting thing, and this is the, the pride of the Jews. Abraham was chosen amongst all the people of his day, Abraham was chosen by God. And he says, him alone and blessed him and increased him or made him many. And this is what has happened. And the Jews are that way today. And the part of the promise to Abraham was that all nations will be blessed through you. And that was through Jesus Christ. And we're able to come. So he says, look to them. You know, he's calling the righteous to look to their roots, in other words, and for, the, for them. And he says, for the Lord will comfort Zion... He will comfort all the, her waste places and he will make the, her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. 
Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. This is definitely partially being fulfilled now as Israel's come back into their land. They, they're a garden, garden play, state right now from everything I've been told. But it really refers also to the millennial kingdom when everything will be returned back to its original, well, not completely original state, but long life, peace, comfort. And so we're seeing here that God says there's going to be a time when Israel is raised up and blessed beyond all measure. And when Jesus comes back for the millennial kingdom, he'll step onto Mount Olivet, it'll split, and he'll set up the kingdom, his uh, kingdom for the millennial rule in Jerusalem. Israel will be the center of attention and everything will be made as close to perfect as humanly as as is possible on our on our defiled world. Um, and so a great time. The hope that Israel is looking for, the whole reason that Jesus was rejected was just for that. The Jews were waiting for a leader who was going to make them the center of everything, uh, the, the head of government, and then they rejected Jesus because he didn't do it. And even the disciples, if you read carefully what they were saying, you know, they were looking forward. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to die. They, they're following the Messiah. They're waiting for him to kick Rome out and, and take over the world. And he's the Messiah. He's going to do it. And they were going to be his right-hand men, you know, and, and take the dukes and the, and the governors and all these different places. And they were looking forward to being rulers. <laughs> and then when Jesus died, it kind of shook them up. Even though he said he was going to do it, it shook them up because they're going, this is not what was supposed to happen to the Messiah. And it really uh, caused problems. And this is the problem we have to be careful as Christians that we don't get so set on what we think things are supposed to happen. Because we can get ourselves in trouble when we go, this is what's got to happen. It's got to happen this way. And we focus in on those and all of a sudden we end up shook up when things don't happen the way we think they, that they were going to happen. But he says that they're, they're, Israel will be lifted up like the wilderness will be made like Eden and the desert like the garden of the Lord. So two ways to say Eden, garden of Eden. And it says, joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. What a perfect thing. When they're, when they're in a place where they're going to have their land restored to like the garden of Eden, there will be joy and gladness. And it can't be anything but joy and gladness if you're in a place that's like Eden. All the food you want, safety, not having to worry about the animals. You know, in other places it says that the, the child shall play at the, the den of the asp and not be bit. You know, the lion shall lay down with the lamb. You know, perfect, just the way it was before the fall of man. You know, I can't imagine what that might have been like before the fall not having to worry about any animal. No animal was going to attack you. Nothing was going to kill you. No, no, no problems. And he says, that's what it's going to be like. And that would definitely cause praise and joy. Uh, and just a wonderful time. Be singing. Be happy. <laughs> yeah. Verse 4. Hearken unto you, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation, for a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for a light of, my pe to, of the people. My righteousness is near, my salvation is gone forth, and my arm shall judge the people. The isles shall wait upon me, and, my arm shall they, uh, and on my arm shall they trust. 
Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish like away like the smoke, and the earth shall wax like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner. But my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. So here we talk about the permanency of God. It says, here, listen, listen unto me, O my people, and give ear, which again, be, to be obedient. This is to hear and to obey. And give ear, O my nation, for a law shall proceed out of me. Or more, more precisely, instruction. Instruction shall proceed from me. This is the great thing about the Bible. The Bible is God's words to us, or his instructions to us. When we want to know something, we seek it out in the word. When we want to know how to live, how to react, how to behave, we go to the word and see what God wants. One of the, one of the interesting uh, acronyms I've heard for the word Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Yeah. You know, it's a, an old, old stain, and it's, and it's a good one. The Bible is our basic instructions on how to live. All right? And so God is saying, hearken to me. A law or instruction shall proceed from me. I will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. All right? God's judgments bring rest. You realize that we are supposed to be, when we are in Christ, we're supposed to be a people at rest with God. doesn't mean that we don't go out and do any work. It doesn't mean that we don't share him. But in essence, we have a faith rest that we just sit back and say, God, you're in charge. I don't have to, I don't have to worry. I don't have to fret. And life is so much easier for us when we're not worrying and fretting and, and being upset about everything. And we're just going, okay, God, whatever comes my way is what you want. Thank you. Guide me, lead me, help me to just relax. And it is fun just to relax in God and let him take all the problems. Let him be the worrier. And he's not going to worry anyway, but you know, let him do your worrying for you because he won't worry. <laughs> He'll just fix the problem. And this is something that is very interesting for us. God is our light. You know, and this is the great thing. When we get to heaven, there is no sun or moon. God is the light of heaven. And even before on creation... Light and darkness was created on the first day. The sun, moon, and stars were not created under the fourth day. So for four days, for three days, God was the light of the world. Now nobody was there to see it, nothing, no people, no, no animals were there to see it, but he was the light. Ground is, grass is growing before there was a sun and a moon to, to give it, to help feed it. Everything that God was light. And God wants to be our light in all situations. One of the greatest things I've had is when God has done some miraculous things with me and somebody's talking to me and all of a sudden God just opens up and says, this is what's going on. The person's done nothing sometimes to make me doubt them, but God just says, don't trust them. And it's very rare for that to happen. 
And it happened one time when somebody wanted to do something. I go, no, this, you know, everything in me said, no, don't let this happen. And then they're going, then on their way out, they started griping and complaining about it and telling me what they wanted to do. You know, and I'm going, well, sure glad that God said no to this. <laughs> because it would have been devastating had it gone through. It would have caused all kinds of problems. God will do that in our lives. He'll just put a check in us and say, don't. Don't do this or do this, whichever the case might be. And you know, he is the light. Even in our lives, he shines a light deeper and deeper into our heart to show us how evil we are and how wicked we are inside our heart. He is our light. But he wants us to rest and, and just be very peaceful. It says his, in verse 5, My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. God's righteousness is near us. Jesus walked in righteousness. And, the, and those that loved, truly loved God were drawn to him. Those that were wanting to be self-righteous and, and follow their own ways were repelled by God. It's kind of an interesting dichotomy going on. The ones that looked like the righteous ones, the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day, hated Jesus. Because, number one, he showed up that they were just fakes. His light and life showed them that they were fake. Those who wanted to serve God were drawn to Jesus. And they wanted more of him. You know, old old uh, Sunday school, I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I ever had before. If we're literally seeking after him, we're going to want more of Jesus. And more and more. I love drawing close to God. Now, when I'm sinning, I don't want to be close to God. I want to be push. I want to push away. Say, get get this light away from me. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be in the light when I'm sinning because I already know that I'm sinning. I don't need the light to shine on me even brighter. And he says, "I am the light." That was one of Jesus's titles. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto me. And he goes, "I am the light of the world." You know, and then he went into no man. No man that lights a candle puts it under a bushel. They put it on a hilltop and on a candle stand so that all can see it. You know, and then those who want light were drawn to it. Uh, you know, so he says, I am the light. And then he says, my righteousness is, my salvation has gone forth. My arm shall judge the people. The isle shall wait upon me. And on my arm shall they trust. So righteousness near, salvation has gone forth. Jesus died so salvation could go forth, not just to the Jews, but to the whole world, to all people. Luckily for us, because there's no Jews in this room at the moment, luckily for us, it went to the whole world. And we've talked about this. In, in the past, the, the Jews believed that the Gentiles were born to go to hell. You know, we were just here to help feed the fires of hell. That's how they looked at it. They were going to heaven, everybody else was going to hell, and they didn't care about it. They were God's chosen people. They were chosen amongst all the nations by Abraham. Abraham was chosen by himself out of all the world. They were Abraham's descendants, and they were the one that were chosen. And everybody else was unchosen by that thought process. And this is a danger that people get into, and even Christians sometimes get into this. You know, it's, well, God, you know, we want, we want those that are going to go to heaven and just uh, we'll leave everybody else alone. All right? 
And this is part of the problem with the group, with the group that are hyper-Calvinists that believe that if you're saved, you're going to get saved. And if you're not, you're not going to save. You were, you were born to go to hell. Don't, don't bother telling people you know, about God because you may, they're, they can't make a decision to go, go toward him. And this is something that's very scary. Now, I do know that there are people that God knew were not going to s- select him, and, they, and they're going to go to hell. And he knew that they were going to go to hell from the beginning. But it's not because they couldn't accept him, or it's that they wouldn't accept him. And this is something that is very important. He says, my salvation has gone forth. He says, my arm shall judge the people, the isles, the Gentiles, shall wait upon me. And on my arm shall they trust. This is where we want to be as a walk-in with God. Trusting in God's strength. Not my own strength because my strength is worthless. Not your own strength because your own strength is worthless. But on God's strength. And this is, this is the fun of walking with God. I don't have to worry about it. I just lean on him. When I really get tired, he'll almost carry me. He'll put his arm around me, and, and if he needs to, he'll carry me literally. Otherwise, he just puts his arm around us, and we walk together. Maybe have our arm and hand in his hand as we walk. But he says, my strength. My strength. You know, and no matter who, who we are and how strong we think we are, God will prove to us that we don't have the strength to get by because he will set up our temptations, our trials to break our strength because he doesn't want us standing in our own strength. He doesn't want any of us thinking, well, God, I made it to heaven and it was all my doing. You know, you were so lucky you got me, God. When you got me, you got the right person. I was so strong. I could, I didn't, all I needed was your blood to cover my sins and I made it, I made it to heaven on my own, on my own strength. That's not what God's wanting. I'm so lucky that God wants me. <laughs> we're all lucky that God wants us no matter how strong we think we are or how weak we think we are. Because there's people who go the other direction. They just totally think they're totally so weak that there's no nothing. And that's probably closer to where we should be. But we still need to turn to God and say, God, thank you. You desired me. I love it that God desires us. He wants us. Why? I have no idea. (laughs) But he wants us. (laughs) He wants us to come to him. He calls us precious and wonderful and and jewels. And he wants us. I don't know what he sees in us, but he sees something more than we see in ourselves. And he decides, desires to have us. And it says, they will trust on my arm. Verse 6 says, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look upon the earth beneath. For the heavens shall vanish away like smoke and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner, but my salvation shall be forever, and my righteousness shall not be abolished. So what is he telling people to do? Look to the heavens. In this case, not the heaven of heavens, but the heavens, the stars, the sun, the moon. And look to the earth. When we look at these two things as human beings, we see, we see what looks like stability. The heaven does not change much in our lifetime. The earth does not change much in our lifetime. All right? Uh, to us, they look very stable, very, very sure. But he's saying, they're all going to pass away. The heavens are going to, it says, 
vanish away as smoke or dissipate like smoke. You know, smoke can make cause quite a bit of haze for a while, but eventually smoke will get blown away and move, and move away. It says the heavens will just kind of fade away. The earth will be like the, will just start to uh, wax old like a garment, get holes in it, fall apart. And we're actually seeing that in our day. We're seeing toward the end of this world, we're seeing things that are falling apart all over the place. And it's kind of interesting to me, when God started everything, it was all nice, fresh, brand new. He had the earth spinning, spinning at a certain speed. And do you realize that even the speed that the earth's spinning is, is slowing down? You know, not greatly, but we can measure the fact that the spin of the earth is slowing down. We know that we're, we're going around the sun at a slower speed. <laughs> All right? How much? Negligible, but it's, 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 it's slowing down. Why? Because God started everything. It would just be like when you spun a top. You know, you spin a spinning top, and it spins and spins and spins. Then it starts slowing down, and, and it starts wobbling on its axis, and then it starts really slowing down, <laughs> and eventually falls. God has spun everything in this, in this universe. He started, it, he started everything in motion. And we're seeing things slowing down. We're seeing things gradually dissipate, which follows into the laws of the science, that, that energy eventually dies down to nothing. That is its direction that it moves in. It slows down and starts moving to inertia, or not moving at all. Now, this is one of the reasons why it's hard to believe that any scientist believes in uh, Big Bang or something starting from nothing because it violates the laws of science. You know, to me, the laws, the, the laws of thermodynamics prove that there has to be a supernatural start to everything. And if you have a supernatural, it might as well be God. All right? Because something had to start everything moving. Because everything is moving toward inertia. And yet, we see here that people have trouble with this. And God says, all of this is going to fade away. Everything that you know that looks strong, that looks stable, is going to fade away. And then he uses, but. I love that. But my salvation shall be forever. I love this. Once we're saved, once God saves us, it's forever. There is no losing of it. There is no getting rid of it. We have eternal life. And it's forever life. And this is why I really have struggled with people who want to say that they have a salvation that they can lose. Now, I can, you, well, and they'll, and they'll go, well, I chose it, I can reject it. Nope, God says it's forever. You know, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth on the Son should have ever lasting life, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting, by definition, by definition, means that it doesn't end. So once we are saved, we have eternal life. We are saved, no matter how stupid I become. Now, if I'm going to be really stupid, I need to worry about, did I ever get saved? But, you know, if I want to completely turn away from God and move away from God, I have to be concerned with, did I ever know him? But, if you really know him and you know that you know him, you have everlasting life no matter what else you do. 
I was listening to a pastor just the other day trying to talk about, and it's from a station that I like. You know, normally they're pretty good. <laughs> and he was talking about how certain people did certain things, they, they, weren't, they, they weren't saved. And I'm going, okay, you know, you're being very judgmental there. Now, there are things that make it hard for me to believe that somebody's saved. But, you know, that's not my judgment. That's between them and God. If somebody says that they're saved and I see some life change in them, I'm going to believe they're saved no matter how big a mistake they make on that. The unforgivable sin is rejecting Jesus and not accepting Jesus. So he says, my salvation shall be forever and my righteousness shall not be abolished. So his righteousness, Jesus died and he, we are clothed in Christ. We are the righteousness of Christ when, when we're clothed in his righteousness. It will not be abolished. I love these because here's, here's expressions that God says, when I deliver, you're delivered. You know, I'm not going to throw you away. Israel, for all the evil they have done, is still his people. And God says, I have not abandoned you. After all these generations of people trying to wipe out Israel, they're still in existence. Close to 2,000 years that they were without a country, and now God put them back into their land, and they're still a country. At the end days, everything is about Israel. After the rapture of the church, everything is about Israel again. God has never abandoned them. Why? Because he told Abraham he would not abandon them. He gave Abraham an unconditional promise and it hasn't been broken and won't be broken now the people have caused judgment upon them but he has never wiped them out god always has a remnant of people following him there's always been a remnant of jews that believe in him and follow him for the church age there's always been a remnant of christians that followed after proper doctrine even when everything was going against them they followed there was a remnant that believed. We've, in the last couple centuries, we've had a pretty easy time for Christianity. It's starting to swing back again, and there will be a remnant of followers for him. And the sad thing is, there's going to be a lot of people that are name-only Christians that really don't know him, that aren't part of the remnant. My hope for us is that we will always be part of the remnant we've made our decision and we will continue to be true to God even in the hardest times. Because it's going to get hard. It's going to get very hard. Just like this little article about this church is getting rid of the old people. Want the old people out of their church so they can draw young people. There's going to be these crazy things going on. We're having more and more churches denying the word of God and saying just because God said it in the Bible we're not going to believe it. You know, accepting sin as being normal, accepting sin as part of the evolution of man's emotional being. Okay, you know, we we we've got to we've got to outgrow these old notions of sin. They tell us, and there's a lot of churches that are doing that. I'm going to hold on to the Bible. I'm going to hold on to the Bible as being God's word. It is true. If God calls something a sin, it's a sin. He calls fornication a sin. I don't care that the rest of the world says it's okay to to you know, shack up together and live together. No, God says it's sin. And if they want to call that old-fashioned, fine, I'll, I'll stay old-fashioned with God. I will agree with God and not, not with man because my ultimate accountability is to God. All of our ultimate accountability is to God. 
we're going to have to stand before him one day and say, why did you do, why did you do whatever it is that you did? And he's going to be sitting back and saying, here's your rewards for following me. And it's going to be tough sometimes. And it's going to be hard to obey God when everybody else is, is, is thinking we're crazy. You know, you just, you guys are just a bunch of old-fashioned, you know, why haven't you gotten enlightened with the time? You know, how can, how can you believe that, that that's bad? Everybody else says it's okay. When we get to heaven and stand at the Bema Seat, I really do believe that we're going to be shown, you know, there will be some tears at the Bema Seat. When we look at it and say, God, God says, you knew better. You knew this. You knew that. But it, it's going to end with, here's your rewards. Here's what you did right. Because everybody has done something right. They accepted Jesus at the very least. You know, they, they, you know if you're, you're saved, you at least just accepted Jesus, so you've done something right. But there will be some tears. There will be tears up there when God says, you know, you have, this is where you were wrong, but it's under the blood. That's going to be the good news. It's under the blood. And he'll wipe away the tears when we enter into heaven, and we won't remember them anymore, but there'll be some tears at the Bema Seat. When we look at... And I know, I know darn well there's times that I should have done something, you know, usually I know it about three hours afterwards, I come to the idea, I should have said this. Or I should have talked to this person, or I should have, you know, and we can't live in those past regrets because we can't change them. We can just try to learn from them and go forward. And that's what's really important in all of that. Verse 7, Hearken unto me, you that know righteousness, the people in whose heart is my law, Fear you not the reproach of men, neither be afraid of their revilings. For the moth shall eat them like a garment, and the worm shall eat them like wood. But my righteousness shall be forever, forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. So here is God going even further. He says, hear me, O my righteous, and whose heart is in my law. Those who follow after God, that want to follow God. And his warning to us is, fear not the reproach of men. All right? or their, and don't be afraid of their revilings. What causes so many of us to freeze is people making fun of us or making, you know, attacking us. God says, don't fear them. As Jesus put it, don't fear the one that can only hurt the body. Fear the one that holds your soul. Okay? And that's God. Not even Satan can, has, has a hold of our soul. You know, and we need to be very careful and because God is saying, trust him. He is holding us. It doesn't matter what the evil people do. All right? And we are stuck in this world and the flesh. If our mind is not set on God, we start fearing people. And it's kind of funny when you're, when you're in a meeting or something, and you watch people who won't say a word because they're so afraid of what others are going to say. Even if the meeting is going the wrong direction, people won't speak up a lot of times because they're afraid of other people. And I'm just talking about little minor things like how a business is going to run. I'm not even talking about major things like, you know, are we going to stand up and say, no, that's a sin. I won't participate. Are we willing, if it comes down to nobody in this room is employed except for me outside, but are we willing to say, no, this is not going to be, I will not do this because it's wrong. I've done that in the past. I actually lost a job because I said, no, I will not do what you're asking. It's wrong. 
It's against the law. And this wasn't even God's law I was against. It was literally against the law, and I lost my job. But I would rather have lost my job than done something wrong. So we see here, are we going to stand with God in spite of the ridicule we may get for doing so? In spite of the attacks that we might have for standing for God? This is important. Where are we? Are we willing to stand up and say, I'm going to stand with God. I'm going to stand for what is right. It's not easy in many cases to stand for what's right, especially in our world. Our world is getting worse and worse with each passing generation. And we're looking around and saying, God, how much longer? I look around and say, God, how much longer until you come back? How much longer till we are literally as the days of, of Noah where everyone does what is right in their own eyes and, and every imagination of their heart is followed. We're awfully close. How close is, you know, how, how, much bad, uh, more, how much worse does it have to get? I don't know. But we're close. Yeah, we're close. And if it was much worse than this, I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the days of Noah. Because we're getting people doing whatever they think is right. And when the church is taken out, things are going to get bad on this world. No salt, no light to, to, to keep them from doing what they want. As bad as the church is, is it doing the job of keeping, keeping things good? We still make them think twice, you know, because they know that we're going, to create, you know, we're going to stand up. But there's less and less of people standing, less and less people willing to stand for God. And we need to be ready to stand for God. Because there's going to come that point where people are going to come after us. We as a church here will have people come after us because of the stance that we're going to take saying the Bible is true. And it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. When people go, well, you believe that people living together is a sin? Yes. But everybody does it. Don't care. Number one, everybody doesn't do it. Like my dad said, everybody doesn't do everything, anything. You know, maybe a lot do. Maybe most but we're going to, I want, while I'm pastor here, we're going to stand on the word of God and say, God calls it sin. It is sin. Now, are we going to judge them for it? No, we're not going to judge people for their sin. That's between them and God. But we're going to call it sin. Because without, without people knowing that they're a sinner, they don't need Jesus Christ, and then they don't know that they need salvation. We're going to call sin a sin. And we're going to stand on it and say, this is sin. You're going to stand and fall before God. And then he says, for the moss shall eat them like a garment, the worm shall eat them like wood. <laughs> Those that are attacking eventually will be judged. If not in this lifetime, they will spend eternity in hell where it says the worm turns and, and, and their conscience bothers them and they're remembering and they are going to feel misery for all of eternity for all the attacks that they put on God's people. This is horrible. You know, the world is not going to win in the long run. Even though it looks like they're winning by, by every vision of our sight, because we've read the back of the book, we know that they lose. <laughs> we, we, hopefully everybody here and is listening has read Revelation in the back of the book. We know that God wins. And his people win. We get to come back with him as rulers. We get to be the honored guests in the palace sitting at the side of Jesus in the spot of the queen 
being honored, we win in the end. You know, even, even, if they, even if the world takes our life, we win. We get to go straight to heaven. You know, this is the good news for us. We do not need to fear evil because ultimately it's going to lose. And even when it looks like it's winning, it's lost. <laughs> you know, we look at the, the Fox's Book of Martyrs and look at all the millions of Christians that have died for Christ. But ultimately, they won. They had a free ticket to heaven. And I almost think that they didn't feel the pain because I think God took them even before the pain really fell, fell upon them. They suffered and, and not... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fire. And it said not even the smell of smoke was on them as they wandered around. You know, and I've seen the cartoons you know, out there where they're saying, pass the marshmallows, or where's the hot dogs? You know, they, were, they were just having a blast, and I think they were. They were in the fire with God, with full protection, you know, and not even worried about what was going on. And I do, I have this real true belief that right the moment before we die, we get to see where we're headed, whether it's heaven or hell. And I've heard the morticians say just that, that there are people that have smiles on their face when they die, and there are people that have looks and horror on their face when they die. So I really do believe that just that split second, there's a split second where you're in both locations at that one moment, you're still in your body as your spirit is trans. trans transferring into its new location. And if we're looking at what Paul said, he says to be absent from the body for us as a Christian is to be present with God, which means to be absent from the body if you're not present with God is to be immediately placed into hell. The waiting place for judgment. Horrible, horrible place. You know, hell is more like the county jails. It's a temporary place while you're waiting for trial. Then you get put into prison, which is the lake of fire for the, for the lost, which is eternal. Hell is temporary. Hell, uh, the lake of fire, is, which has the same description, <laughs> is eternal. And death in Hades is thrown into the lake of fire after the white throne judgment. So the temporary place and everything and death is all thrown into hell, the lake of fire, for the, in days. What a picture that's out there that God says, I am going to be the one that judges. And we see this coming up and say, God, I want to be on your side. I want to, I want to hold on to you. You're victorious. And when we truly believe that God is victorious in all things, it will change the way we deal with things. Because what am I worried about? What's the worst thing that can happen to me on this earth? It's not death. Yeah. You know, death is good. I go, to, I go to heaven if I die. The worst thing that can happen to him is we may, he makes me stay alive. And I have to suffer on this world a little longer. But you know, he's still with me, so even that is not bad for a Christian. For a non-Christian, the worst thing to happen would be death. Because no longer can they even make a choice for God. And they will spend eternity in hell. For the lost person, death is a terror, terrible thing. For us as Christians, death is the doorway into heaven. 
the doorway was spending the rest of our time with God. And I love being with God. I love it in, in this lifetime when, I, when those moments when I'm worshiping or I'm in studying, the, studying the word and all of a sudden God just opens a little crack of what it's like to spend time with him. When you're reading the word and all of a sudden you just get enraptured by what you're reading and say, wow, God, what, what would it be like? You know, I'm looking for, you know what the most important thing I'm looking forward to about heaven? is that I won't forget the stuff that God has taught me. <laughs> I'm tired of learning the same things over and over and over again. I'm looking forward to the day when I won't forget it because I'll be in heaven and God says, okay, now you've got, now you've got a perfect mind. You, you won't forget the stuff. You know, <laughs> but he says and then he says in the end of verse 8 but my righteousness shall be forever and my salvation from generation to generation again he's reiterating that he is eternal you know do we really have a grasp of the fact that God is eternal he does not change He's always the same. You know, a lot of times we get the accusation from the, from the lost world, well, you know, you Christians are following a different God. You know, you got that New Testament God of love and, and grace, and, you know, and you, you, you ignore that Old Testament stuff of all that anger and, and laws and rules. God hasn't changed. He still has the laws, and the laws were there for one reason, to tell us that we're sinners. That's what Jesus said. You know, the law was there to show us that we are a sinner. Without God's laws, we would not have realized that we were a sinner because we make up our own rules without God's rules. But you know, the sad thing, and Paul told us in Romans that human beings are so bad they can't even keep their own rules. So when people stand before God, they may say, well, God, I didn't know your rules. So God says, okay, fine. You didn't even keep your own rules. You said you weren't going to do, and you did it anyway. This was your rule you made, and you couldn't follow your own rules. You know, and this happens over and over. We can't keep God's rules. We can't even keep our own rules. And I'm not talking about government rules that we don't care. I'm talking about the rules we make in our own life. I am not going to do such and such. And we end up violating that rule. Or I would never do such and such and we violate what we said we never would do. So when people stand before God, he's going to show them their rule, his rules. And then if they go, well, you know, I didn't know your rules, he'll show them their rules and say, see, you didn't even keep your own rules. We are sinners. We're born sinners. And we are going to do wrong, period, without the strength of God. And we won't even keep our own rules that we make up in our own life, much less God's rules. But he says, I am eternal. My righteousness is forever. You know, and I love this because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which is God's righteousness so we have his righteousness forever. When God looks upon us, he sees Jesus. This is a precious thing for, for us to keep in mind. God doesn't see us. He sees the Son. He sees perfection because the sin is put under the blood and then he clothes us in the righteousness of Christ so that he sees perfection. And when people go to the white throne judgment, what are they gonna go into is not their sin, they're going to stand before him in their righteousness, which is a bunch of filthy rags, 
and tell God they're ready to enter into his, into his presence in their filthy rags, and they're going to start, and at that point, they'll see their righteousness for what it really is. Filthy rags. And they're not, they're not going to be ready to stand before God. They're not going to be able to stand because they're going to look down and see, oh, all these good things I thought I did aren't worth anything. And this is why we've got to get to this point where we recognize we need God. We need Him. When we're, when we're in deep sin, we need God's grace. When we don't think we're in, in deep sin, we need God's grace. When we think we're really good and doing everything right, we need God's grace. <laughs> because without His grace, we would be damned. Because nothing we do is good enough for God. It's His salvation that lasts forever. It's His righteousness that lasts forever. And when we enter into eternity, it would be because of the righteousness of Christ that we can walk with Him. This is why we can't be standing in judgment of one another. Because we don't see each other the way God sees us. If we are His children, He sees us as perfect. We know we're not. We know we've got problems. We know we're growing. And so when we look around, we should be looking at others just as bad as we are. We know that we're, we're not perfect. We should never be looking at people expecting them to be perfect. And this is why it's such a dangerous question when we go, is this person saved? Look at the way they live. Well, I understand that because there's certain people I look at them and I've known them long enough. I'm going, I don't know about this person. I don't see any growth. But I'm not the one they stand before. I'm going to pray for them as if they're not saved if, they, if I see no growth whatsoever. If I'm seeing growth, I'm going to go, praise God, they're, they, God, you got them. They're growing. And certain people, I go, yeah, God, you really got them. <laughs> Look at the growth in their life. But even that can be, be a phony thing for a while. And there's many people that have been that way where they look like they're a good Christian. You go to Bible college and you see these guys that get saved and go, go to Bible college to be, a, to be a pastor and you watch them over the three years and, and the newness and the excitement wears off and the and the desires wear off and they become terrible people, which they really are at heart. And I'm not saying they were never saved, but you, know, you kind of wonder, you know, okay, you had an emotional experience, did, did you get saved? And believe me, I've seen it. I've seen, I've seen some of the guys I went to school with and I'm going, where, where are they? You know, where are they by the end, of the end of the training time? When they find out that it's not just all uh, peaches and cream, you know, walking with God, and there's trials. And this is where the real time comes when, when we face trials and tribulations and we stay leaning on God and say, God, I'm just trusting you. I'm going to go forward with you. I'm going to, I, want to, I want to keep with you. Because God never promised us that things, life was going to be easy. Matter of fact, he promised us that life was going to be hard. Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. you know, and so he even promised us hard times were coming. But we want to look to heaven because a lot longer good time is coming. All I have to do is put up for a few decades, maybe a century, maybe two if I really live a long time, of misery. But even then, God is on our side and there's joy and peace in that. But I look and say, God... I want heaven. I'm looking to heaven where I'll have eternity with you. And I can't, I can't even begin to imagine what eternity and perfection will be like. Perfect, and, perfect life for eternity.
and many, 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 many eons from now, when we kind of think back, we're going to go, what was that earth? You know, yeah, there was a place I lived that, you know, that we went through some hard times. Yeah, here's my reward wall where I got my rewards because of the things I went through back then. But we're going to look at it totally different. We're going to be looking at, oh, look at all the rewards I got from all this. You know, and God was so faithful. God is always faithful. We just need to put our trust in him. But we have to know what we're putting our trust in, and that's where we get to know God. How much am I going to get to know God and say, God, I trust you? Faith is not just something blind where we just throw it out and say, well, I'm just going to trust, you know, because. And we've talked about this, you know, uh, faith is something that is proven out by our experience. We all express faith when we sit down in these metal chairs. Is it a guarantee that these metal chairs are going to stand up and hold us? Most of the time. But if they're bent and misshapen, we look at it and say, nope, not going to sit in that chair. You know, uh, and I've all shared with you, you know, those old the, uh, chairs they use in weddings and everything, little plastic folding things that look like they fall apart on a, on a whim. I won't sit in them because too many of them have cr crunched underneath me. I'm going, nope, that chair looks too much like the one. It may or may not hold me, but I've had too many of them fall down. I am not, don't have enough faith to sit in it. Faith is destined by our, what we know. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our faith comes by getting to know God. We get to know him first by the hearing of the word. Then we get to know him by the experience that we have of him protecting and guiding and leading. And our faith grows to the place where we can go through almost anything because we go, God, I fully trust you. I am persuaded that you are able to keep me. I am persuaded that you will not let me go. You may feel like I am. It may, may not look good by sight, but I know that you're not going to let me go. And when we can get there, we can face anything. We can face anything because our trust and our faith is in the God who keeps his promises. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he does not change. And that is our great hope. God never, no never, no never, ever, changes okay and the more we can accept that and learn it the more faith we'll have in that he's keeping us no matter what seems to come our way and be able to have that great trust in him we're going to stop here lord we just thank you for this evening we thank you for how much you love and care for us lord we thank you that you are forever unchanged that you love and care for us and, and we can trust in you because you never change. Help us to follow that and help us to go forward with you. In Jesus' name, amen.